coming up on today's show. So we always will kind of discuss the trend, um, but then look at the various implications that, that that trend might have on various stakeholders. So internal and external stakeholders, um, different markets, industries, um, how it might affect the public or the wider economy. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place with them. Through the University of Law's pro bono program, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. My name's Camilla and I'm an LPC student at the University of Law and I'm a future trainee solicitor and I will be your host for today. On today's episode, we're delighted to be joined by Sibel Verdu, a trainee solicitor at Thackeray Williams and founder of Become Aware, which is a platform that teaches commercial awareness to aspiring lawyers. In today's episode, Sibel and I will be discussing her journey into law tips and tricks for interviews and applications, and that's all-important commercial awareness. So make sure you stick around to the end of the episode to hear all of that. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Sibel onto the show. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast, Sibel. It's great to have you on here today. Thank you, Camilla, and thank you for inviting me on. And of course, Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Yes, Happy New Year to everyone. So let's start off by just asking maybe you to introduce yourself to the listeners and provide some insight into your career journey so far. Excellent. So I am Sabelle. I am a trainee solicitor due to qualify as a commercial real estate lawyer. In March, I took the traditional academic route into law. So I completed the uh, LLB law degree at the University of Essex. Um, I then went on to complete an LLM in law and economics at Queen Mary University of London. Um, And I think for me, even though my long-term career goal um, was always to become a lawyer. I think at that particular stage, um, approaching graduation um, at the end of my master's, I was kind of more drawn towards roles that were in the business and financial sector, Um, just because at the point that I was graduating, there was a real heightened emphasis that um, aspiring solicitors should have commercial awareness and um, have some kind of business experience to kind of understand different client perspectives. Um, So I felt that 
uh, prior experience um, in a different industry uh, completely would um, kind of provide me with the different insights and, and offer me that um, so that when I did finally um, enter the legal industry, um, I was all obviously able to offer something different. Um, so I think contrary to what we find a lot of aspiring solicitors doing um, at the point of graduation, um, which is obviously the application cycles, um, I was looking for different roles um, to which I'd landed a role in FinTech financial technology. Um, I actually completed the LPC part-time um, during that. Um, and obviously when I completed the LPC, what I'd found is that the company I was employed by um, was experiencing rapid growth. Um, so there were a lot of internal development opportunities. Um, so I found myself kind of taking an unintentional detour um, away from law for a period of say five years. Um, and that kind of provided me um, with different experiences. So I found myself progressing through various roles um, such as client services, um, transaction monitoring, which was very much compliance based, um, looking at service improvement. And um, so we was involved in a lot of tech based projects, um, automation and some AI um, and then uh, project management, I think, was my last kind of role there. Um, we were quite involved with uh, an interesting international expansion project. Um, so really, that's kind of my work experience um, prior to law. Um, and then I think I must have woken up one day and thought, I've got a lot, a lot of different experience now. Um, I've completed the LPC and let's let's kind of go back to applications, to which I'd landed my training contract at that Cray Williams, um, where I'm now qualifying in two months. Oh, congratulations. That's so soon um that's such an interesting career journey and I've taken sort of a similar route um although I didn't do anything as exciting as fintech but I think when students leave university um obviously focuses on applications and, and that's you know that's absolutely fine and and maybe even getting paralegal roles but I think that it's really important to highlight the fact that you don't need to necessarily get your first job in law to be successful in a career in law it's absolutely fine to do other things and actually that can make your cv a little bit more interesting so yeah i think that's uh, really nice um to hear your story so let's uh, move on to your training contract that you've almost completed um can you tell us what seats you've done so far and maybe some typical training tasks for each seat too yes of course so in your training contract you will need to complete seats in both um, contentious and non-contentious areas um, and you'll need to complete uh, complete seats in at least three distinct areas of law um, so I completed seats uh, my first seat was in commercial property I then went on to employment law in my second seat um, and litigation in my third I then returned back to commercial property in my fourth seat with a view uh, to qualifying in the area um, so commercial property is of course, a non-contentious area of law. It's transactional um, and largely involves the kind of purchase and sale of commercial property, looking at leases and land development. Um, your client base is very vast, so you're dealing with uh, investors, developers, um, business clients, landlords, tenants, um, and even public sector bodies. Um, so, of course, very interesting. Um, a typical trainee might find that they're involved in drafting kind of key documentation like leases, uh, contracts, conditional contracts, unconditional um, leases, uh, sorry, the under leases, rent deposit deeds, those kinds of things. Um, you'll find that you might be drafting uh, 
reports on titles, lease summaries, conducting due diligence on titles, um, conducting searches on behalf of your clients, um, obviously progressing transactions uh, because it's largely transactional, um, and then of course um, raising inquiries uh, to the other side or assisting your client with um, preparing responses to the other side and as well as that I think you're quite involved with with the land registry so responding to requisitions on titles and um, completing all of the relevant forms and filing them at the land registry so for example AP1s um, and then of course taking new inquiries and providing that preliminary kind of guidance up front um, to potential new clients so yes it's um, quite vast and transactional um, employment law is um, a very interesting area of law I'm yet to meet a trainee that hasn't enjoyed this area <laughs> it is a kind of cross between both contentious and non-contentious um, law um, as well as kind of acting again for quite a broad client base range so you might be acting for um, businesses um, or individuals so employees or contractors um, and the types of work that you might be involved in, in terms of the non-contentious side, um, obviously drafting employment contracts, um, staff handbooks or policies um, on behalf of your business clients, um, obviously to safeguard their legal uh, position from an employment law perspective. Um, and then, of course, on the contentious side, you might find that you're advising individuals on any potential employment claims that they might have, for example, in relation to constructive or unfair dismissal, um, whistleblowing claims, discrimination, um, and you might find that you're negotiating kind of settlement packages on their behalf. And of course, if you're acting for the business, then you'll be kind of defending their, their position. Um, and you might find if, if you're not able to settle that you're pursuing the matter all the way um, to the employment tribunal. Um, so there's a lot of really interesting um, areas and, and issues going on um, there, um, as well as actually one thing that I found interesting in employment law were the post-termination restrictions um, and advising both uh, employees and um, obviously businesses on behalf of those in any kind of contract, general contract disputes. Um, and then I think finally for litigation, um, it's obviously a contentious area. It's largely concerned with the process of taking a matter all the way to court. Um, you might find that your litigation team deals with uh, the settlement uh, pre-court stages. Um, we rec recognise that as dispute resolution. So some teams might have that internal, so within the same department. Um, I know that a lot of firms have a separate dispute resolution team um, that deal with kind of the pre-action um, kind of settlement negotiations. Um, but the sorts of things that you'll be dealing with in litigation might be things like neighbour disputes. They are at an all time high with the pandemic and everyone being at home. Um, you know, kind of disputes about who owns what piece of land and, um, you know, which area of the garden belongs to who. Um, breaches of commercial contracts, landlord and tenant disputes, professional negligence. Um, and of course, you're involved in, in those processes um, and disputes. So preparing court bundles um, and the pre-action processes as well. So um, I think that's probably um, quite a comprehensive breakdown of, of what you might be involved in. That's really helpful um, overview, so thank you. So I'm going to be starting my training contract next year and sometimes I wonder how I'm going to decide on a practice area 
um, to qualify into because from what I've seen so far of the practice areas, they all seem so interesting. So I just wondered, how did you decide that commercial real estate was the one for you? Well, firstly, congratulations on the training contracts. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's gone so quickly. I can't believe that I got the offer almost two years ago and I'm going to be starting in August. I just don't know where the time goes, but yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, the the training contract will go just as fast. Um, (laughs) Yeah, congratulations on that. Um, For me, I think um, the commercial and property markets are highly sensitive to uh, events occurring within the kind of wider and macro economy. Um, I think the uh, COVID-19 pandemic is a prime example of that. So the um, demand for office space um, and physical working space has obviously been impacted um, by social distancing measures, lockdown, quarantines, um, redundancies, and obviously remote working. Um, So I think whilst there were initially um, a great deal of uncertainty about the future of commercial property, I think what we are kind of seeing now in reality is that the demand is obviously still out there. Um, There is just a demand for different types of um, working environments and um, real estate for businesses to conduct their business. business. Um, And I think you, for example, you have um, newer working spaces that um, reflect uh, better worker safety um, that might involve for example more indoor space which is suitable for um, distancing social distancing measures um, commercial real estate with perhaps more outdoor areas um, maybe touchless technology even so I think what we'll probably see is that offices that are quite ill-equipped um, become quite obsolete um, post-pandemic. Um, I think with that being said, um, there are other types of uh, commercial properties and real estates which has increased in demand. And I think that's obviously fueled with not only the um, pandemic, but also Brexit. So if we're looking at storage spacing and um, warehouses, they are um, quite hugely in demand. Um, so where at the moment, I think businesses are engaged in project projects that are um, involving downsizing or moving around that has meant that uh, commercial property has remained quite a busy area of law um, even during the pandemic Um, and obviously businesses are also repurposing at the moment I think we've had what Boris Johnson described as the biggest shake-up to commercial uh, the planning permission system since the World War II Um, as he put it. Um, And that's really allowed business owners to kind of switch more freely between use classes and providing kind of enhanced flexibility um, to boost business production and economic activity. So what I would say is if you have an interest in the commercial world and keeping quite current on current affairs, then commercial property may be an area for you um, just because it is is obviously highly sensitive to events occurring um, in the real world. Um, It's obviously transactional based, so you're able to manage your time a lot better than perhaps other areas of law. Um, But with that being said, of course, transactional work carries that element of high risk. Um, So the work that you're conducting on behalf of your clients um, has real financial implications. Um, So it obviously requires high um, attention to detail. Um, It's obviously quite rare to meet your clients as opposed to other areas like employment law. Um, But what you'll find is that you often have a lot of repeat work from your clients. So you're able to build long lasting relationships. Um, 
So I think that's always interesting. And um, just to add to that, uh, from a personal um, level, I recently worked on a commercial real estate project, just a smaller uh, typical lease, um, which happened to be in the local area. Um, and once post-completion, um, I was quite heavily involved in the process. I actually happened to walk down the road where you'd seen the, the business uh, setting up. Um, and I think it is quite exciting to see how the world is changing around you um, and how businesses are you know, getting on with, with, with their works um, as a result of perhaps the, the real estate projects that you're working on. So it is, of course, um, really an, uh, an exciting area, I think. Definitely. I really like the idea of being able to see the project that you've actually worked on and be able to walk past it and be like, oh, you know, I was, I was a key part of this, this transaction. So that does sound really, really interesting. So um, I just wondered if you had any tips for our listeners who might be starting their training contracts soon about how to succeed as a trainee solicitor. Yes, absolutely. I think organisation is always going to be probably one of the key key tips. Um, I think there is an obligation by the SRA to kind of monitor training. Different firms do this in different ways, um, but with our firm, we we prepare a weekly diary um, so we track what we've actually worked on for the week um, and then we report on what we've actually learned and taken away from the tasks that we've done so I think a key bit of advice would be if you do anything like that to maybe perhaps keep on top of that um, because that self-reflection is I think um, quite quite key to cover like you know what what you've kind of learned during the week um, in terms of tracking your own training and getting involved uh, with as much as you can I think that's that's another thing so for example if your firm uh, do any kind of pro bono work perhaps maybe volunteering to get involved in that um, offer your support um, where you have capacity um, but on the flip side if you find that you are quite inundated and you're not perhaps able to um, get through all of the work that is um, being given to you. I think it's quite important to manage expectations of your team and to let them know, um, you know, what you're able to do and you're able to prioritise your work that way. I think that's always quite important. Um, and I think one of the key bits of advice that I always give to trainees which is probably more unusual and it's obviously subject to the kinds of culture that you have at your firm um, but always raise new ideas um, I think firms are always kind of mindful about the future of their firm and future leaders so I think um, even being able to display those skills from an early stage as a trainee um, is always going to serve you in the longer run so um, yeah if you have any improvement ideas or anything then I think it's always worth perhaps raising them. I really like that and um, so I just want to go back a little bit to the significant work experience that you built up in fintech and perhaps other roles um, I do remember seeing that you, you had really great work experience when I was looking at your LinkedIn page to prepare for this interview. So um, I'd really like to know how you went about selling that non-law work experience when applying for training contracts and whether you think this experience has benefited you in your training contract? Yes, no, absolutely. I think when there are thousands of applications, um, I think when they are whittled down to kind of the very best or strongest applications, it then can, I think, um, sometimes boil down to uniqueness. So is there something on that application form that a recruiter perhaps hasn't seen before? Um, and I think that non-legal work experience is probably 
going to give you that edge more so than than legal work experience and I think for me I have a lot of trainees ask me you know should I include non-legal work experience in my applications or my CV Um, and for me it's an absolute no-brainer particularly if you are interested in the kind of commercial corporate world um, or corporate side of law um, then it's very important and I dare I say even in some ways maybe more important um, I think legal work experience will obviously show that um, and support your assertion that you are interested in law and that you, you want to become a lawyer. Um, it obviously shows that you understand what the uh, law entails, um, but also demonstrates kind of your initiative and that you've gone out to seek um, legal work experience. But the non-legal work experience, I think, really gives you that competitive edge, especially um, if you're looking for something different to kind of stand out on your application. Um, So for me, I think it's definitely um, no doubt benefited me in my application processes and and during uh, my training contract itself. Um, I think it's just, again, you know, just being able to display something different during my training contract I think for me taking the experiences away from what I'd acquired in fintech I'm always kind of looking at more for for ways to be more agile um, and more efficient ways of doing things so for example efficiency of internal processes for client benefits um, or even you know how to keep ahead of the curve in terms of um, online presence um, whether that be kind of social media SEO or online content Um, I think kind of we are in pretty much a digital age now. um, And I think where firms historically, probably particularly on the high street, relied on a client base that were within the kind of local community, local area, um, you kind of, you know, we've kind of moved away from that now with the digital age. And we kind of, with the development of the internet, we just have that kind of geographical client base being limitless. Um, So I think that's going to be quite key as well. So if you have any experiences that give you any skills in in different areas, then I think it's always important to to raise them. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's worth adding. So I'm just mindful that I've spoken a lot about FinTech, but with our listeners being largely student based, I think it's worth mentioning that your non-legal work experience, it doesn't always need to be a very sophisticated role in a high-performing industry. Um, So, for example, when I completed my master's, I was working part-time at Sainsbury's, so within the retail industry. And I think a lot of people or students might ask me, okay, so how do I write about um, retail experiences Um, in my application so obviously if you're looking at the sorts of things that you're dealing with you're building rapport with your colleagues and um, customers you're advising on suitable alternative uh, projects products for um, your customers Um, obviously working to tight deadlines as well when you're restocking the the store during store closing hours Um, so there's a lot of things that that you're doing that obviously provide you with those key transferable skills Um, so yeah I think it's definitely a no-brainer that you you do include those um, in your applications and they they will highly benefit you um, in the long run and during your training contracts. I completely agree I think non-legal work experience is is so important to mention Um, I put down all my well not all my supermarket experience, but I did work in a supermarket, so I included that as well. And if you think about it, I suppose you might even have a client, which is a supermarket one day. So um, 
you understanding that you understand the business literally from the ground up is beneficial I, I would assume before we get into the second half of the episode I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about the sponsors of today's show and the law school that I chose to study my LPC at and that's the University of Law The University of Law believes in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. Their experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life experience from the start. They offer a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. So I just wondered whether there were any challenges that you experienced in your path to qualifying as a solicitor and if you did experience any um, challenges, how you overcame those? Yes, of course. I think rejection is is got to be the first one. I think we've all experienced rejection at some point. Um, and I think yeah, I mean, for me, going back to university when I was making the kind of initial applications during the application cycles, I mean, in hindsight now, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised at the kind of outcome when looking at those applications. Um, but no, I, I think rejection is probably one of the, the key um, challenges that most students are will face. Um, and for me, I kind of took away, the way I approached it, I, I took a, a bit of a detour, as I've mentioned, away from law um obviously that was you know partly intentional um but it, i think it also allowed me to kind of go away and develop outside of the law and develop and acquire some skills that perhaps law would never have given me um so that's that's one way i dealt with it but also obviously developing application skills um so really kind of mastering the art of um selling yourself if you like um so yeah, I think if you have any kinds of uh, mentors or anything like that that can assist you with kind of proofreading applications and support um, your kind of application skills and give you feedback, then I think that's something that is always going to be um, very helpful. But I think, yeah, always developing kind of the, the way to sell yourself and, and how to write applications, I think. But with that being said, I think it's important to highlight that once you have kind of mastered the art if you like um i think we always assume that if we are still facing rejection at that particular point that we're doing something wrong um and i think that at that particular stage that it might just mean that you you need a bit of perseverance um and just to keep going because you you might not know how how close you were yeah i completely agree and i resonate with the rejection one um i think I think you have to remember that there are a lot of people applying so rejections are inevitable and uh, as long as you keep improving maybe one percent or two percent hopefully more than that but if you at least keep improving with every application then eventually you'll get there so I think I think that's a great message okay so I'd love to learn a little bit more about become aware and why you decided to set the platform up Yes, of course. So Become Aware is, um, just to give you some context, it is an educational hub and e-learning platform. It's designed to teach commercial awareness. Um, now, we know that commercial awareness is a real buzzword. 
um, within the legal industry. Um, but I think how to acquire it has remained um, somewhat of a mystery. Um, I think there's a lot of talk uh, from students um, and a lot of advice given about commercial awareness that it's acquired by following news trends. And when I do speak with a lot of students, um, this is really unhelpful advice, um, particularly when you are first starting out with commercial awareness. And that's because you really are kind of presented with a lot of commercial jargon and the commercial language that a lot of students might just simply not understand. Um, they may not be familiar with, you know, how the, the wider business world operates. Um, and I think, yeah, it ultimately it becomes very difficult to um, even understand the nature of what you're reading, um, let alone try to uh, acquire your own opinions on, on matters. Um, and I think what you'll find is that a lot of students end up regurgitating commercial facts and figures that they've read um, or heard in the news. Um, so, of course, that's really unhelpful during an interview or an application because um, you're just simply fact stating. Um, and, and obviously, that's not the, the nature of commercial awareness. So Become Aware was really launched to kind of provide that stepping stone um, into commercial awareness. So it's an educational platform. Um, really designed so that if you do pick up the FT, you actually have a chance at understanding it, um, as well as formulating your own opinion. So what we do is we kind of teach the commercial language. Um, we teach our members about the wider business world and keep them informed on um, key trends. Um, and I think all of our content as well, it, it follows a specific structure there and, and what it aims to do. That sounds really, really helpful and something that I definitely would have found helpful when I was going through the process and even at university because um, I remember having a workshop about commercial awareness. It was like a one hour thing that we had to go to um, and they literally said basically read the news and if you've worked in a supermarket then you've got commercial awareness. <laughs> I was like, okay well I've done that and you know read the news and it just really wasn't helpful so um I think platforms such as become aware are incredibly useful for students um and for all the listeners I will leave a link to become aware as well in the description box wherever you're listening to this podcast so um you can go and check it out and um, so what are your top tips for developing and demonstrating commercial awareness? I'd love to hear more about that. Well, sign up to Become Aware. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we have um, on Become Aware, we have, if you sign up with the um, promotional code that's advertised everywhere at the moment and on the website, there is a free application review as well um, that comes with it. So just to throw that there. Um, I think I've touched on it before um, in the previous question, but I think just to tie it into this one, top tips for developing and demonstrating commercial awareness. So I think, as we say, I mean, it's, it's not really about following the news and regurgitating the kinds of facts and figures. It's about trying to formulate your own opinions on things. Now, if you are somebody that struggles with commercial awareness, I think the key kind of starting point is really to kind of understand the language that's being used. So when you are going through these articles, you might want to pull up the um, kind of jargon buster glossary that we have or, um, you know, just simply Google it um, just to understand the nature of what you're reading before you can start to think about maybe what the implications are. Um, I mean, just to take a random example, the microchip shortage that we have at the moment, just to kind of think about, OK, so what are the facts? What are microchips used for? Um, 
you know, what, what are the implications it's causing on, on various areas? So, for example, inflation, when we're looking at uh, the products such as uh, computers, um, what impact is it having on, on those um, and the supply of these products, um, as well as, for example, the secondhand car market. We know that that's booming at the moment um, just because of how long it takes to order a new car. I think it's probably about 10 months now, isn't it, um, as opposed to six to eight weeks. Um, so the second hand car market are doing really well. Um, prices are going really high as a result of that. So it's just really been able to observe how the the wider business world and what the implications of various trends, what, what they actually are, as opposed to just, you know, being able to simply state, OK, I'm aware that there's a chip shortage. Um, but what does it mean? Um, and I think that's that's the key thing. Um, but also being able to speak the commercial language, I think, is also um a key way to kind of demonstrate commercial awareness um, and I think we're due to speak about uh, training contract applications but um, so maybe I'll save it for that but I think um, <laughs> um, being able to speak the language um, throughout is something that allows you to kind of demonstrate your commercial awareness um, as opposed to just you know displaying it when you're talking about commercial or current affair. Brilliant advice. Um, yeah, hopefully the listeners can can definitely, you know, next time they're looking at, a, at an article, actually think about those things that you've mentioned. I think that would be a really good starting point, as, as you said. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear your top tips for the training contract application and interview process. Absolutely. So, um, of course, we've got all the kind of generic advice. So, um, I mean, my top one, before I go into all of the generic is obviously to sound commercial. And I think that's really what kind of gives you that com uh, competitive edge um, in applications is, is sounding commercial throughout, not just during the kind of com specific commercial awareness questions. So, you know, discuss a trend of your uh, interest or um, please explain how, for example, this trend might impact our particular firm. It's, it's something that you can display throughout by utilizing the um, appropriate language. Um, obviously, spelling issues and gra uh, grammar, that all kind of needs to be on point. I think um, recruiters, sometimes they, they kind of allow, you know, margin for error. But um, yeah, I mean, if you've got an application that's not been proofread, that's obviously going to be something that a recruiter can instantly identify. Um, tailored applications are obviously very key um, because, again, recruiters can instantly identify um, when an application has been tailored. And I think uh, into that point, um, you need to ensure that the points that you're making in your application are always being tied back um, to your experiences. Um, and the reason for that is because otherwise it just simply looks like you're fact stating um, and it gives it that more kind of generic appearance. But if you can tie um, the points that you're raising back into your personal experiences, that's really what kind of makes it look um, a lot more tailored. Um, so for example, um, why are you interested in law? Um, just giving the examples about um, maybe work experience that you've had and the reasons that you're um, interested in it um, from the experiences that you've had. Um, so I think that's another key point. Um, obviously, I think you mentioned interview as well, didn't we? Interview process. Yeah. That's always an interesting one. Um, how to get interview experiences. There was actually one stage. Um, <laughs> I was applying for jobs. Um, I mean, I was looking for alternative roles to see what was out there, but it was mainly to kind of bag interview experience. 
um, and to kind of meet new people. I'm not publicly um, advertising that you go and waste yours and recruiters time. Um, but if you do have a mentor um, that can help you um, practice and brush up on your interview experience, um, then I would take the opportunity to do that. Because speaking about yourself, I think it's almost a skill. Um, and I think once you do get a bit of experience doing that, then um, you become a lot more comfortable in, in selling yourself and discussing the kinds of experiences that you've had. So um, practice makes perfect, they say. <laughs> and you're probably closer to the application um, cycle process than I was. It's been a couple of years for me now. <laughs> Is there anything you'd add to that? Just interested. Yeah, I completely agree with the practicing thing because, um, for example, there's uh, someone that I'm, I'm mentoring at the moment and we've been doing weekly interview practice and she's improved so much in just a few sessions. Yeah. So it's that's really good. For me, um, I think, yeah, I think, so I got my training contract after a few interviews. So it's definitely practice, but it's obviously best not to save the practice for the for the real thing. Um, I also videoed myself on Zoom a few times answering questions, which was which was um, yeah. It's it's a, I suppose an alternative for if you don't have anyone to ask you questions, you can kind of ask them to yourself, video yourself, and then watch it back and be really critical about where you can improve. Um, and yeah, I, th I think it's just learning to sell yourself, which people I think struggle with. And it's, and it's also being confident as well. So developing confidence, selling yourself and practicing. And I think eventually those, when those three things come together, um, you're in a really good position. That's, that's what I would say. Just to add to that point about being confident as well, um, I've seen a report um, when I'd done an interview before, it was, I think it was another role in the finance um, kind of sector. And um, I was I was looking at the section where we, we were being interviewed by I think two of the partners um, within a different kind of industry. Um, but they mentioned that I, I, I said I was not nervous, but I think they asked me about my weaknesses. And I think I gave the example of um, commercial, uh, commercial awareness, um, public speaking, sorry, um, because I think public speaking is always my kind of go-to answer when I'm discussing weaknesses, because it's always something that you have to acquire um, and practice on. And I think they said that um, that was, I listed that as my weakness, but I'd appeared confident. And I think one of the key ways to do that is to slow down. If you are someone that gets nervous in an interview is to really kind of slow down um, maybe even speak slower um, it just gives you a chance to kind of um, recollect your thoughts and and say the right things um, but it also allows you to come across probably more confident I think when you are speaking very quickly can perhaps give the impression that you're a bit more nervous that's definitely true definitely true I think that's great advice and I suppose that's where having a mentor having the opportunity to record yourself and watching it back you can then think am I speaking too fast let me practice speaking a bit slower um yeah that's that's great advice uh, and yeah I'm definitely with you on the uh public speaking thing but I think I've improved quite a lot since starting the podcast and doing various other things like um debating online debating clubs and things like that so that definitely helped me with being more confident on Zoom because 
I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I was really nervous to take myself off mute and introduce myself, like my name and who I was. I was literally shaking. So going from that to going, you know, being confident um, when actually on a Zoom interview, uh, it just took practice and putting myself in as many positions as I could where, where I was on camera and speaking to other people. Um, so if that's if that's something that you need to work on, then then that's definitely my advice for that. Um, okay, so thank you for all of your advice, Sibel, on that. And, and I'd just like to kind of finish off by asking you about how you manage your time, because I think it's so inspiring that you managed to um, complete your training contract, plus you've grown Become Aware. Yeah, you, it seems like you you just are really great at managing your time, and I'd love to hear your tips on, on time management. Yeah, um, well, there's no doubt about it. It is extremely time consuming and time demanding um I am someone who is very process driven um so I think that always kind of aids the process um and allows things to be completed with perhaps more ease um but I think yeah I think if you ask anybody who's kind of entrepreneurial gets involved in a lot of extracurricular activities or launches their own kind of projects side gigs that kind of thing um you'll know that it is extremely time consuming and it really does require a huge amount of passion, I think, um, ultimately is what it boils down to is, you know, when you have free time, this is something that you choose to do. Um, because yeah, it, it is just time consuming. I mean, I am actually looking at uh, new ways to kind of automate processes. Um, so for example, via mailing lists and um, automating the way that social media posts are, are being sent out um, just for time efficiency and, and to increase output. but. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's probably um, organisation is obviously key, um, but I'd be lying if I said I was always organised. Um, we, of course, always have um, a, we have ambassadors that assist with the, the platform as well. Um, so there is kind of a process in place there um, where content is produced and then um, reviewed and approved by our network of professional ambassadors so it, it kind of goes through a process and I do definitely have a lot of support on the platform but yeah I mean it, it is uh, time time consuming um, but I think from the feedback that we get on the platform it's, it's definitely um, worth um, every minute. <laughs> Fantastic and finally before we let you go are there any non-law books podcasts or films that you've enjoyed recently? That's a good question and one that makes me feel very boring outside of work. I've actually, <laughs> I've actually got the um, conveyance in handbook on my desk upstairs. I've got the LPC, commercial property books, um, the Estate Gazette. <laughs> I've started listening to the Estate Gazette podcast um, just because it's relevant to my particular area. Um, it's more kind of niche and focuses on, on the kind of specialist area that I'll be going into in law. Um, I think you're looking more for outside of, of work. So general films, are we talking general films? Yeah, just anything general. That you, maybe something that you've seen on Netflix recently, which you think is really good, anything like that. I don't know if you, I don't know if you watch Netflix. But... I do, I do watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I saw the new Spider-Man recently. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I won't give any spoilers. I know that there are huge uh, fanatics out there. Um, oh, right. They'll come for you if you give it all away. <laughs> I, I was that one where they would say, um, Sabal, which Disney uh, princess would you be? Um, when I was younger, and I'd always say Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love that. If it wasn't Ariel, it was Spider-Man. 
That's so cool. Okay, thank you so much, Sibel, for all of your time today. You've given so many great nuggets of advice um, and it's been great to have you as a guest on the show. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all the listeners or anyone who's watching this um, as well. And I'll leave the uh, links, as I said before, to become aware in the description um, and any other details that I think you might find helpful. So, yeah, thank you very much. And we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place. Through the University of Law's pro bono program, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. The University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment-focused experience, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with ULaw, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills so your career starts from day one. To find out more about the courses they have on offer, just click the link in the description box of the podcast. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.